scripture lesson this morning is Genesis 39. Genesis 39, so let's stand for the reading of the Word of God. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant, made him overseer over his house, and all that he owned he put in his charge. And it came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house, and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there he, he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came about after those events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he's withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do this evil and sin against God? And it came about as she spoke to Joseph day after day that he did not listen to her, to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household was there inside. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came into this house to lie with me, and I screamed. And it came about when he heard that I raised my voice and screamed that he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words. The Hebrew slave which you brought to us came in to me to make sport of me. And it happened as I raised my voice and screamed that he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Now it came about when his master heard these words of his wife, which he spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me. Then his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him, put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And the chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in the jail. So whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. You may be seated. 
We're studying the book of Genesis, and now we've come to the point where God has exalted Joseph, is beginning to exalt Joseph, to the highest places of power in the whole Egyptian nation. Pharaoh himself had more majesty, more glory, but he had no more administrative power than Joseph did. And so you see where we've been. How did God get Joseph to Egypt? God got Joseph to Egypt by humiliating him, by having his brothers turned against him, put him in a dry well, selling him to people who sold him into slavery in Egypt. And God did all of that to Joseph to get him to Egypt to be the savior of the Israelite church. Joseph had not been humiliated by his brothers, and as we see by Potiphar, if he was not humiliated and then exalted to the highest places of power, go to hell. Because God exalted Joseph for one reason, to keep Israel from starving to death in a famine that was worldwide. If the sons of Jacob had starved to death, there never would have been a Judah. If there never was a Judah, the great-great-great-great-great-granddaddy of Jesus, there never would be a Savior of the world. And you and I would die without hope. So how did Jesus accomplish our salvation? Humiliation and exaltation. God humbled him with a humiliation that you and I should have endured. And then on the third day exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name. That at, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So whenever you see the life of Joseph, you see a type, a symbol a representative of Jesus Christ himself. And what we have here in this chapter is God's absolute total sovereignty causing everything to work together for good from every act of faithfulness, every act of betrayal, every humiliation, every temptation, every trial in Joseph's life. Nothing went wrong. Everything that happened, God had predestined to happen. Now, in chapters 37, uh, 38 through 41, we see something very important. We see the story of the... Now, listen. We see the story of the Word of God in Egypt being prepared to receive the covenant people. That's what all this is about. Joseph getting to Egypt is the story of God getting his word to Egypt to prepare Egypt to receive the church so she would not die. There's not one word in here of the word of God going to Egypt to save Pharaoh and Egypt from their sins. Not one earthly word. And that is not the point of Joseph going to Egypt. We're going to see a little later in the story, as you know, after Israel was saved and after Joseph accomplished his saving purpose, then God wiped Egypt off the face of the map, <laughs> destroyed their economy, destroyed their social life, killed all their firstborn children, and then when Israel escaped and the armies of, Is of Egypt went after them and the children of Israel walked across on the ground of the Red Sea that God had parted, when the armies of, I of Egypt tried to get across that sea, the sea closed up, killed, all, wiped out all the armies. So God sent the word of God 
to Egypt, not to save Egypt, but to save Israel. God condemned Egypt because of her sins, and God saved Israel in spite of hers. And that is sovereign grace. Why did he do it that way? Because that's the way that pleased him to do it. And so we have a story here now of the word of God in Egypt. And you see a lot of the promises of the covenant coming true with Joseph's rise to power. Particularly the one in Genesis 12, that where God says to the church, I will bless everyone that blesses you, and I will curse everyone that curses you. Now, he wasn't saying that to the people of God as an ethnic group. He was saying that to the people of God as the church of God. Because remember who the sons of Abraham are. The sons of Abraham are all those who belong to Christ, regardless of ethnic origin. And they are the ones that are heirs of all the promises of God. So if anybody is good and kind to the church, God will be kind to them. And we see it throughout here. Potiphar was a pagan. He uh, worshipped the gods of Egypt. He was a powerful man. He was the captain of the Pharaoh's own personal secret police. Uh, the bodyguards of the Pharaoh of Egypt. And so he's very rich, very powerful, this Potiphar. Very pagan, very idolatrous. But oh, how richly God blessed him because he was kind to Joseph. So we see the fulfillment of covenant promises here. And I want us to notice this story. This is Everybody knows this story. But I want you to notice the steps that God took in raising Joseph to exalted power. Now, remember, he had to be raised to power so that he, he could be in charge of distributing provisions and food during this salmon, a famine. And so just like Jesus had to be exalted after being humbled, so he could distribute all of the blessings that were accomplished by his humiliation and by his death. So now notice the steps here. In Genesis 1, the first step, the Ishmaelites, who, who bought Joseph from his wicked brothers, sold this 17-year-old boy, the most powerful man under Pharaoh in Egypt. What luck! Luck for that to happen. That here, this bunch of nomads in a caravan through the desert find this guy in a waterless well they're Ishmaelites. They hate God. They buy this 17 year old, or 18 year old boy. And then they get to Egypt and they sell him for, uh, as a slave again to the captain of the Pharaoh's bodyguard. Is that a coincidence? Is that luck? No, of course it's not. It's God maneuvering things to get Joseph in the position where he can save his people. And the word of God in Egypt has one purpose, and that is to prepare Egypt to receive the church. You know, there's a lot of revelation going on during this time. God was revealing himself in all kinds of dreams. God revealed himself earlier to Joseph as a young boy about the seven sheaves and the, and the sun and the moon and the stars bound down to him. And now he gets to Egypt and God reveals himself to a baker, to a uh, jailer, 
to Pharaoh himself and to Joseph. A lot of revelation going on. The word of God is very active in Egypt, getting Egypt ready to receive the church of God. So the first step in Joseph's rise to power is uh, Potiphar purchases him as his own slave. And notice this is all the hand of God. The second step is in verse 3. Verse 2, first of all. Because this describes Joseph's life throughout this chapter and throughout the rest of his life. And the Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him. And how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in the land. Look over verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. And extended kindness to him. Verse 23. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. So that's the reason for his uh, faithfulness. That's the reason for his character. That's the reason why he could not be uh, seduced by Potiphar's wicked wife. That's why he had such influence in Israel. Jehovah was with him. That's the heart of the covenant of grace. You know, the book of Genesis is about the covenant of grace. And the covenant of grace is made between Jehovah and all those whom he chooses to be his people. God said to Abraham, I'll be a God to you and your children after you down through your generations in an everlasting covenant. Nothing can break that bond. And so Joseph is proof of it. Here he is the living proof of God himself being with somebody and having fellowship with that person and strengthening that person's life. Now there's a great lesson to be learned here. And that is, when God is with you in Christ, you will live a faithful life. That's the first thing. You probably will cry in church, but you will live a faithful life. Second, if God is with you, you live a faithful life. And if you live a faithful life, God will bless you. And more times than not, he blesses you with wealth and riches and success. So get that little formula down. If God is with you, you'll be faithful. And if you're faithful, God will bless you. If God's not with you, you won't be faithful. And if you're not faithful... God will not bless you. And that's one of the most important things I can tell you today. And I want us to look and see at the expansion of that thought in the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy. Israel's on the verge of entering the promised land. Now God is declaring to them magnificent blessings and magnificent curses. He's simply telling them in an extended way what we just said. Israel, when church, when you get in the promised land, I'll be with you. And I'll make you faithful. And as a result, I will bless you and cause you to prosper. So let's see how he does it. Chapter 28 of Deuteronomy. Verse 1, now it shall be if you will diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today. 
The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. You can't just pick and choose. You've got to obey all the commandments. And you just can't do it when you feel like it. You've got to be careful and diligent at obeying all the commandments of God for the sake of Christ. Verse 2. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you will obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground and the offspring of your beasts, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way, and they will flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, as he swore to you, if you will keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. So all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. The Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the offspring of your body, in the offspring of your beast, in the produce of your ground, in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open for you his good storehouse, the heavens, to give rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. And you shall lend to many nations but you shall not borrow. And the Lord shall make you the head and not the tail. And you only shall be above, and you shall not be beneath. If you will listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I charge you today, to observe them carefully. Now to whom are those words given? Moses is speaking them. And to whom is he speaking them? The children of Abraham. And who are the children of Abraham? Those who belong to Jesus by faith, regardless of ethnic origin. So Deuteronomy 28 is not simply addressed to an ethnic group in the Old Testament and it no longer applies to us today. Deuteronomy 28 is applied to you. Claim the promises in this chapter. If you are faithful in obeying Christ, what does Jesus say? Jesus said, you're my friends if you have a dramatic emotional conversion experience that you can recount to the elders. Does it say that? No. Jesus said, you are my friends if you obey my commandments. So he's saying, you're my friends if you obey Deuteronomy 28. Because that's what people do if God's with them. If God's in fellowship with them and I'm their Savior, that's what people do. They carefully obey all of God's commandments and are faithful to the covenant. And here's what God always does. God blesses every aspect of their lives. But, let's go on. Verse 14 of Deuteronomy 28. But do not turn aside from any of the words which I command you today to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. But it shall come about if you will not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes with which I charge you today 
that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground and the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send upon you curses, confusion, and rebuke in all you undertake to do until you are destroyed, until you perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence cling to you until he has consumed you from the land where you're entering to possess it. The Lord will smite you with consumption and with fever and with inflammation and with fiery heat and with the sword and with blight and with mildew and they shall pursue you until you perish. And the heaven which is over your head shall be bronze and the earth which is under you iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder and dust. From heaven it will come down on you until you're destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them, but you shall flee seven ways before them. And you shall be an example of terror to all kingdoms of the earth. Now, that has historically come true in several uh, instances in history. It's not just a play on words. It's not just something to scare you. That's really happening in history. And it'll happen to the church in America if she repents, and it will happen to her if she doesn't. So God says, I'll bless every aspect of your life. I'll make you successful. If I'm with you, you'll be faithful and you'll be blessed. Can you give me an example of that in the book of Genesis? Israel in Egypt. They didn't become slaves till later on when they started playing around with the gods of Egypt. They lived in the land of Goshen. The land of Goshen is up there, uh, the Egyptian land right on the Mediterranean Sea. It's the best real estate in the whole nation of Egypt. And as long as they were faithful to the Lord, because God was with them, they were richly blessed. Now, can you tell me a nation that God was not with that they, diso did, uh, they disobeyed him and they followed other gods. And as a result, every aspect of their life was cursed. Egypt. Ever been to Egypt? I have. All that's there is a bunch of ruins, just like in Rome. That's all that's left of Rome is a bunch of ruins. All that's left of Egypt three or four pyramids, and a few other things. That's about it. It's gone. God destroyed Egypt because of her sins and saved Israel in spite of hers. And so here Joseph is a man with whom God is fellowshipping. When God offers, you to, offers himself to you to be your God and to make you his people, that's all God can offer. That's the highest blessing God could give. There's nothing greater in all the Bible than that mother promise that God gave Abraham. I'll be your God, and you'll be my people for thousands of generations. So let's go back to Genesis 39. Joseph is rising to power. In verse 2, he was bought by Potiphar. Notice the second step, which is in verse 3. Now his master saw that the 
saw, watch the words, now his master saw that the Lord Jehovah was with him and how the Lord Jehovah caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. Potiphar is a pagan. Potiphar hates Jehovah. But God enabled Potiphar to see what God was doing in the life of Joseph. So even this unbeliever who's confused about life and who lives by his own will and his own opinions, he could even see what was true about Joseph. He could see that Joseph was with him. Can your immoral, wicked, blaspheming, unconverted neighbors see that God is with you? Or do they think you're just a religious bigot and a hypocrite? Why did Potiphar, why could he see that the Lord God himself was with Joseph? his slave because of Joseph's character. This isn't your normal person. This is not a person that lives like the Egyptians live. And secondly, because everything he undertook, he succeeded in. Everything Joseph did, he succeeded in. I mean, even the pagan Potiphar knew that this was more than a coincidence. So now this is the second step. God is helping Potiphar observe something. He's observing that this man Joseph is extraordinary and that God is with him. Now notice the third step. Third step is in verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned he put in his charge. Third step. Uh, put him in a higher position. He was already in a high position, but now he's in a high position that Potiphar has put Joseph in charge of everything that belongs to him. So now Joseph controls everything in Potiphar's house. And so Joseph's career is being advanced. Notice the fourth step in verse 5. And it came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned, in the house and in the field. Here's the third step. And that is God blessed this pagan's life. God blessed his family. God blessed his bank account. God blessed all of his fields to have much fruit. And God blessed Potiphar's life because of Joseph. What's God doing? Is God not making a distinction between good and evil? Does God bless a man whether he's good or evil, whether he's good like Joseph or evil like Potiphar? That God doesn't make any difference between good and evil? Nope. That's not the reason. Of course he does. The reason he's blessing Potiphar because of Joseph is to get Egypt ready to receive the church of God to deliver it from death and from sin. Keep that in mind. That's why God does everything in this world. The reason God does everything in this world is for the sake of his church. To save it. To keep it safe. To preserve it in history. All right, now let's look at the fifth step. And that is in verse 5. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge 
and with them there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance. Potiphar entrusted everything to Joseph. Now he is a complete of everything. He, he, he doesn't have a supervisor for Joseph. Joseph does not to be, doesn't need to be supervised as far, as far as Potiphar is concerned. And as the same time as he continues to advance in employment, God says something about his physique. God says that in the scripture that I not only blessed Joseph to have an influence upon Potiphar, I, bl I, I blessed Joseph to be handsome in form and appearance. Now, why is that there? Why does God go out of his way to tell you, I bless Joseph by making him handsome in form and appearance? There's two other people in Genesis that were described sort of like that. And that is Sarah and Rebecca. So you have three people in the book of Genesis whom God made beautiful or handsome. And he told you that he made them beautiful or handsome. How did he do it? Well, one reason is to let you know that if you're a girl and you're a woman and you're beautiful, or you're a man and you're handsome, there are going to be sinful people that are going to see you as prey. There's going to be more sexual temptations in your life than people that are not beautiful or handsome in form and appearance. There's some people that never have to worry about that. But if God has given you any beauty or any being handsome at all, be very careful because all the rest of your life there's going to be people to try to seduce you. Remember Sarah? Abimelech tried to seduce her. Rebecca, another Abimelech, tried to seduce her. Joseph, you got Potiphar's wife. So this is a world that worships sex, and it wants you to play that same game. So remember that as you live this life. Whenever you see somebody that you're drawn to emotionally and you know he or she's not a Christian, but she's handsome and she's beautiful and you're drawn toward him or her with feelings, you see that person in your mind as having a torch in each hand and you're wearing a necklace made out of gunpowder. Avoid, if I had a necklace of gunpowder, I would avoid everybody with torches. <laughs> Let's go back here. Now Joseph continues to advance in power in Potiphar's life, and everybody is blessed because of him. Now he's going to be tested. If you're going to be a leader, if you're going to be in a place of power, you've got to have character. You've got to be a person of integrity. So like his ancestors, God's going to test him now to see if he'll be faithful in a situation where it'd be very, very easy fall into immorality. And you know the story about Potiphar's wife. She was always trying to seduce Joseph. Remember, he was not only administrator, but he was a slave in the household. And so he was always in the house, 
and the wife was always in the house, and she was always trying to seduce him. Until one day, there wasn't anybody in the house but her and Joseph. And so she let the fire of passion dominate her. So she literally threw herself at Joseph. And when Joseph tore himself away from her, she had a hold of his clothes and tore the clothes off of him. You say, why didn't Joseph leave earlier? I mean, if this woman was trying to seduce him every day in the privacy of her home, why didn't he just leave earlier? He was a slave. He couldn't leave. If he left, Pharaoh would have killed him. So now he has been tempted over and over and over by this woman. And uh, finally, when she throws herself at him and tears his clothes off, he runs away. Now that was a great act of courage. A great act of courage. Well, let's see, read some of these things. Verse 7. And you tell me why it was an act of courage. And it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph. And she said, lie with me. And he refused and said to his master's wife, behold with me here. My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? And it came about as she spoke to Joseph day after day, that he did not listen to her to be beside her or be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household was then inside. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. Now I want you to know that, that whole important part of the study. That was, that was very courageous for him to flee when he was owned by that woman and her husband. And he would not obey her. And so he fled, and when slaves flee, they can be punished with death by their masters. So that took great courage on Joseph's part, not only to turn her down, to run away. But notice what he did during all this seduction. He tried to convert her. He tried to convert this woman. Look at verse uh, 9. There's no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. He's looking at this woman trying to seduce him. He said, don't forget who you are. Don't forget what marriage means. Don't forget your commitment to your husband. You are the wife of Potiphar. And it's a very wicked thing for you to flirt with me when you are the wife of another man. So he's trying to make her feel guilty. Trying to lead her to uh, repentance, which he was often doing with people throughout his life. And he says, I cannot do this. Your husband has put me in a very responsible place, and I cannot do this great evil and sin against your husband. Is that what he says? No. He says, your husband has put me in a responsible place, 
and I cannot do this great evil and sin against Elohim and sin against God. You see the godliness, the God-centeredness of Joseph. Joseph said, I, I, it's not that I'm, I don't want to sin against Potiphar. I don't want to sin against him, but it's God that I'm worried about. I don't want to sin against the God of the universe, the God that put me where I am, the God whose absolute sovereignty controls every area of my life. Remember when David prays in Psalm 51, he says that the, the worst thing about my sin is I've sinned against God. I sinned against Bathsheba. I sinned against her husband. I sinned against Israel. But the worst thing about my actions is that I sinned against Almighty God. And I can't do it. You see, when we started studying the life of Joseph, we saw that this man is consecrated to God every second of his life. That was his protection. His protection in the secrecy of this house with this adulterous woman on fire with lust was the new God was with him. That can always keep you from sinning. The presence of a third person. When you're in the room with somebody else is trying to get you to sin and trying to seduce you to immorality. Remember, there is a third party in that room. That is the living God. And he's not missing a thing. And he's with you. So now what does she do? She is a wicked woman. So he runs off, he leaves his clothes, gets out of there as quick as he can. So verse 14, she calls all the men of the household. He said, see, my husband has brought in this Hebrew just to mock us. He came into, me to lie, into my house to lie with me, and I screamed. It's all my husband's fault. My husband brought this Hebrew slave here anyway just to make fun of us. So then when he tried to rape me, I screamed for all I was worth. And she said in verse 15, and when he heard that I was screaming, left his garments beside me and ran away. <coughs> so she left his garment beside her until his master came home. And she spoke to him with these words. The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us, you brought a better man if you were a better husband, I wouldn't be the victim in this whole situation. Whom you brought to us came into me to make sport of me. And it happened as I raised my voice and screamed, that he left his garment beside me and fled outside. And when Potiphar heard those words, all he could do was believe his wife. So he believed her, and his anger burned towards Joseph, the guy that he knew the Lord was with. He had no reason to believe his good-for-nothing wife. He had every reason to believe she was lying but out of fear of his wife probably. He believed her, and his anger burned toward Joseph, so he put him in jail where all of the king's prisoners were confined. What happened to the exaltation to power? What happened to all the power that Joseph was supposed to have now to get ready, Israel ready to receive the church. Even though he's in a dungeon, Jehovah was still with Joseph. Jehovah extended grace and kindness to him. 
and gave him favor with the head jailer. And so the head jailer gave him the responsibility to be the supervisor of all the other prisoners. The Lord was with him. Whatever Joseph did, the Lord made him prosper. Even in a dungeon. Nothing can stop God's exaltation of Joseph. It's a type of Jesus. Nothing could stop his resurrection from the dead, not even death. He was humiliated, and God raised him from the dead and gave him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So remember this story. So important, it tells you how to handle people that are wicked. It tells you how to face life, how to deal with life, and how to understand that everything that happens to you, even exaltation to great places of authority, even as a slave in a woman's house, even as a prisoner in the king's dungeon, the Lord's with you. And he works all things together for your good, for his glory. Because, Joseph, you're going to be the savior of the church. There's going to be people in coming Georgia Praise God for you. Because if you had been faithful, the church would not have survived. So be faithful. If God's with you, you will be faithful. And if you're faithful, God will bless you. That's a fact. Let's pray. Lord, we love this story. Thank you for the display of your power and of your word with Joseph in Egypt. May we always be as faithful. May we always be as pure. May we always flee idolatry. May we always flee adultery. May we live with you and for you to accomplish your purposes in our lives, whatever consequences we have to face. For Christ's sake, amen.